Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Pete Petrusha joins me. He's from Imagining Games, and he's here to talk about his game Chew, among other things. You'll find out that Pete doesn't take small steps and he swings for the fences for his projects. I do have a Patreon, and for the price of $1 a month, you will not only support me, but you get outtakes from various shows. Grab your badge and your gun, because, sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Pete. Hi, how's it going? It is going good. So, we met at GameHole Con in 2021. So, (laughs) so I signed up for this game called Chew. It was on a Saturday night. Uh, It was kind of clicking around. The guy who was running this, uh, I didn't really recognize the name. It was getting late. I was exhausted. I was tired. Jeff Richardson from Chaosium, I never played RuneQuest, was running a game. I thought, man, should I just should I just skip? I am tired. I'm not sure I want to do it. It's like, <laughs> no, I'll just go ahead and do that. And so I drug myself over to the game of Chew. And um, I must say that was the highlight uh, of, of, the, of my GameOcon experience. That's so great to hear. Uh, <laughs> that game had a lot of fireworks. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I felt bad because I had some people who I gamed with because I had two games that were just like, a, you know, a raucous good time, if you will. And the second game I ran that was actually of my other, you know, recent release, Rest in Pieces, I couldn't remember their game. And I felt so bad because it was like we were talking about how great the game was yeah. like for the first couple of days. But by the end of that weekend, it was just like I had so many games that were just <laughs> ridiculous and funny and all over the place. And so I, I'm so thrilled, especially because by Saturday, sometimes you were you're burned out as a game. Yeah. Master. So, yeah, I don't amazing. know how you did that. I don't know how you because you you brought it on with all the energy. Well, I assume all the energy. I, I guess I haven't seen you earlier. Then. Maybe you have more energy <laughs> you know, earlier on, but I was pretty much toast. And I felt bad that I wasn't necessarily able to like, you know, concentrate as, as heavily as I wanted to, but that was a, that was a great game. That's, that's wonderful to hear. I've been really lucky. You know, it's funny because as a you know, person, you publish games and I've worked with a lot of game designers. So when you're hanging out with other people, you talk about stuff like the grind of, you know, running games. And I've had friends who, you know, like, oh, it's my first game and I have this one adventure and I run, you know, it's two hours and I run it like six times a convention. You talk to that guy a year later and they're like, I hate this game, <laughs> you know? Um, so it's, I've been really fortunate that uh, so far the games that I've made have been really fun. Even if you run them a hundred times, uh, and I'm really thankful because otherwise I don't want to be that person. Could you imagine you spend so much money, you want to be positive and have energy and at a convention and run the games and look at what I did. Look at this cool thing. You should buy it. And then instead be like, but I kind of hate it. (laughs) Well, there was a game designer who, uh, who I had an opportunity to game with after all these years. He's, you know, one of the old school game designers. And I'm glad I got to play in this game, but I also realized after playing it, I never want to play more than one game with him. Like I played the one game mm. and it's like, and I'm not going to say I didn't have fun, but it's like, no, I mean, it's just like, but if I could hang out with you, Pete, that'd be a, a different story. <laughs> <laughs> what was it about it? you think it was something, was it like generational? Was it like, like play style? Oh, or was it definitely it just was. Energy? 
I'll just, I'll just, okay. it was James, it was Jim Ward. And he definitely, okay. he definitely, it's his vibe. It's the way he plays. It's the way he GMs. Um, but, you know, of course, his game is kind of wacky, but, but deadly. Uh, where I'd say this game, Machu is obviously, we can talk about that. But, you know, it's definitely a, a kind of a wacky game, but it's, it's not quite so, I don't say it's not deadly, but it's, it's, it's just a different, it's, it's hard to vibe. put your finger on when you try to describe it and people don't, they don't see the art and they don't know what you're talking about. Cause you kind of say everything, like you throw the kitchen sink at them and then they're, they're just staring at you and you're like, what's well, kind of is like that. It is kind of like that, but good, you know? Yeah. My son's looking at buying it and he's talking about a campaign. I'm like, well, I don't know that choose really a, a, a proper campaign. It's really about different set pieces, different, things that you do and those things do add up but it's not like like you're not it's not like you're doing the um you know like what was it that uh with the call of cthulhu uh one of those horror on the orient express or whatever where it goes on yeah. for a year you're not necessarily clue to clue to clue it's like it's more of episodic and i imagine you can tie things together but it it doesn't necessarily have to be that way yeah you know it's funny that's one of the things i'm kind of working on right now is that the game has long play, you know, campaign style play, but we really look at like that in the context of Chew being like, I don't know, three to three stories, like three full sessions. Right. And what I mean by that is like three one shots or something, you yeah. know, people play differently so that each one of those one shots could be, you know, three sessions for them or one session, depending on hours or location, but we kind of see like three to five of those because it just feels like that's kind of where it would organically end it. And maybe that's because of how the comics are paced that there, the reason why something like that happens is it takes about two or three individual cases, which is kind of like the one shots to kind of start building something in the background. That's like a conspiracy. Yeah. And we definitely see that happen, start happening after one game when it leads into another because just like food puns, like the players just kind of pluck them out of the air when they already have these visual references on this, yeah. you know, the cork board of stuff that happened la in the last campaign and the people they met. And then now weird stuff is happening that kind of has similar <laughs> shades to it. But but yeah, once once you've kind of had a conspiracy or maybe even two, it seems like it can only kind of keep building, you know, uh, so much. Uh, not to mention that. that the, the dry erase cork board that that's what we call the cork board. It's like a dry erase board that has post-its all over it, describing cases and connections and people, you know, and the player characters, you run out of space. It starts at first that you just kind of keep sliding the stuff over to the left, which is supposed to cram it up, but it's part of why it's funny, right? It's like, just, you just slide the case stuff in the last case over uh, and then draw more crazy lines all over the place. But yeah, I'm with you. I, what I'm getting at is trying to feel like, there's a couple things like you saw in the game, maybe like resistance rolls, like when things go bad, I'm just like, you can resist, but I just told you how your fingers got shot off your hand. If you don't, your fingers have been shot off your hand. Yeah. Um, do I care about how the mechanics, like how much that costs for you to resist in a one shot more than I care about it over time? Right. Because like you said, I do think more people will play this as individual one shots than campaign and if they pay play campaign it won't be like a super lengthy campaign this isn't like you said like the 26 week you know campaign yeah um with the same characters so uh I, i've been reeling some of those choices back you know where i'm like oh that makes it a little more deadly but i'd rather it be you have that feel in the, the one shot 
than not because most people's experience will probably be that so yeah i think with a one shot it's definitely mo- well, i say most people i know i just like to run you know whatever i can to the limits but i think <laughs> the idea but you know if you look at, maybe we ought to before we go too far um maybe i just give your elevator speech for what the comic is sure because i know i can't <laughs> <laughs> so basically with you um there was a even an avian <laughs> There's a bird. The bird flu went bad, like horribly yeah. bad. Uh, so it's kind of relatively similar to our modern times, but a few years back, and the bird flu killed over 100 million people. So that led to huge overreach and government controls, which basically led to like the Food and Drug Administration became like the most powerful law enforcement agency, followed by the USDA because they they made all poultry illegal. So there was a poultry prohibition. And for most people, that means all chicken and all eggs suddenly became legal. And this changed how crime kind of worked, as in like suddenly egg dealing became the thing, chicken trafficking, speakeasies came back for like chicken dining. So you could have like chicken and waffles or fried chicken because it wasn't so long ago that we all remembered these foods and like eggs are in everything. So this government overreach kind of becomes something that leads people to question, you know, the ethics of the time, but you're a member of the FDA who are kind of like the spooks of the time, you know, you, you have, you can, um, you're above the law, (laughs) you know, so kind of some of the the tongue in cheek stuff we're talking about that's funny is that, you know, you can really blame whoever you want to blame. Like it's not a, a case sort of mission oriented game where you have to get down to the ultimate culprit because you just might be having a bad, bad day and phoned it in. So um, the comics uh, is where it came from. The comics are Chu. They follow a, a Chinese family, the Chu family, CHU in that case. And uh, the, the rise of an investigator from the Philly PD through the FDA during this period of time who's got a food power because there are mutants that exist that have powers kind of like the X-Men or something, but they're oddly specific and they're based on either eating or cooking things. So the lead character is one of the most powerful versions of these, which is when whatever he eats, he can see the history of it. Um, And this leads him to become a very successful investigator at the times because things like murder mysteries suddenly become a lot easier when you can take a little bite of a cadaver and find out who killed them where but it also makes why. his life but it makes his life complicated oh, yeah. because eating meat is is a horrific thing yeah yeah so, so it starts off with some dark comedy in that that like he can't eat a hamburger though because then he sees how like the cow was butchered after he sees the cow have a happy life in the, the meadow or the past uh, uh the pasture you know um but there's a lot of powers uh because of the times and the weirdness like they have unlimited budgets. So like the USDA has a robotics program and, you know, um, but there's so much humor that comes out of something that seems so dark and tense because like, it's really funny when you can like your power is you can make mashed potato drones, you know, like I just, I carry a little tub of mashed potatoes and I take that ice cream scooper. And when I throw them in the ground, they transform into little drones. And I, I tell them what to do, you know, it, it's a weird, uh, you have weird powers, and you have these abilities and the times and the people and the things you're facing are all strange. So just so much funny, so much humor, not in you having to be funny, but you having to deal with funny situations. Yeah, wasn't the comics, wasn't there some sort of alien form that, or fruit or something that that became, so there's, it can get really far out out there. 
the, they basically the world the cool thing about the comics there were 60 issues made by image they started in 2009 uh, following the journey of tony chu but some of the stuff that really made it big was that like chu was the comic that like you go to a comic shop and be like yeah you know my partner or my friend's not really into comics they don't like superheroes so it was a gift something for them and it became this alternative comic alt comic of choice that really gave it it's like sort of evergreen comic nature as like the comic that wasn't about superheroes, even though there's a little bit, especially as we go forward with the food powers. But um, the comics kind of have something for everyone because the, after the first few issues, uh, when they realized they were going to like have more issues and people liked it and it was a hit, there's a lot of characters that keep getting introduced and you see their interpersonal relationships build. Most characters have kind of a fatal flaw of something like pride or recklessness or duty that they take to the extreme, which means they walk into problems, you know. Uh, every issue felt like compact, like action-packed, like you enjoyed it for its standalone nature, but then was still was building an overarching thing in the background, but it wasn't brooding like so many things can be, you know, like you have to watch the next episode, you have to read the next comic because you, you like got to know what's happening next. This felt like, oh, that was amazing. I can't wait for the next issue, but it was like everything was its own story. Uh, yeah, I think the other thing complete. too is you, you're not necessarily going to guess what's going on. It, it, it's well written in a way that it's not predictable. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that part in itself is that like they never, the, the creators never pull their punches. Um, so that's kind of where, where we're getting when I was talking earlier about like, you know, maybe making the more deadly was it, it had the Game of Thrones factor, like the Kirkman effect of, you never knew if your favorite character was going to die in the next issue because they didn't, they didn't care. Like they were okay with, if it could be aliens, well, then it's effing aliens. And here they are. We're not yeah. spending 10 issues to get to it. And then you're like, okay, well, you just took the next greatest thing you could possibly do and did it. What are you going to possibly do next? And they never stopped doing that for 60 issues. They just, whatever was the coolest thing they could do, they did it and then moved on and found something else that was equally great. Yeah, it's it's just a it's hard to describe, you know, I mean, it, and if you see the visual style, it all will make even more sense because it's hard, <laughs> right? Because it's just like that, then it all gels. So you can have yeah. vampires, cyborgs, you have, you have you have it all. But even talking about it sounds like they went too far, but they don't. It's like they, they push it to the crazy extremes, but it's not it still works somehow they exactly like you would tell them you can't do this that will not work you can't keep doing that you'll burn out uh, they break all the rules you know yeah. all the rules that you the general good consensus would tell you not to do they do it and they somehow do it well and then uh but again even afterwards you'd be like no you cannot don't follow that model like don't do what they did do something else like that's right. that's a train wreck over there but somehow it's magic it's, and so, I mean, what you're dealing with is really quite a, I don't want to say, you can tell that story kind of leads more than as far as a game mechanics. You do have to obviously have to have mechanics, you know, to have mm -hmm. a game. But you settled on the, uh, if I recall correctly, Powered by the Apocalypse engine, right? Uh, Forge in the Dark. Oh, a, Forge in the Dark, that's A right. little kid uh, spawned from the uh, Powered by the Apocalypse by the brilliant mind of John Harper. Um, uh, an indie beloved game designer who's made things like Lady Blackbird and Aegon and uh, obviously Blades in the Dark, but a lot of little, little stuff that um, 
really just charmed people, especially like when I think of stuff like in the indie games and demand movement, like in the early 2000s at places like Origins that was like budding. Um, little games like a 14 page uh, Lady Blackbird that's kind of a, a little bit of a firefly story, you know, condensed into 14 pages that needs a lot of improv, but uh, is an amazing tight little package. Uh, was something that like just year after year you hear somebody talking about how they played it for the first time and they're like it was amazing and it's like and he made a lot of like two-page games that just yeah. lasers and feelings is another one that's pretty popular so uh which was kind of like a star trek hack <laughs> but again two pages so a lot of streamers attached to something like that game um but yeah so blades in the dark he he did his own take on powered by the apocalypse right so just for listeners who are not as familiar, some of the similarities or some of the important keynotes of Powered by the Apocalypse is that the players have a lot of agency. You know, the game master is a guide. They kind of have some rules to follow, but they're really supposed to kind of like set the players off and then watch them do their thing. I'm not there to necessarily challenge them or defeat them or kill them or uh, tell them where to go or railroad them. I'm, I'm there in this case, like to give them their boss gives them a case to work on and then you're kind of following them along and hopefully the mechanics are doing something that keeps the the action even by the role mechanic always moving forward and that all of their choices narratively force them to kind of stay within the theme no matter what they do um and those kind of hit the big notes you know the player agency uh, fail forward in the way that like you they're one of the most popular game systems that came out with the you don't just succeed or fail you succeed you succeed with the catch or you fail but then when you fail it's going to be like bad it's not yeah. like re-roll oh you didn't pick the lock let's wait five minutes and try again none of that so and yeah, that dynamic as a gm can sometimes be off-putting or weird too where it's like okay i'm supposed to sit back what if they don't do anything <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the difficulty with it is more sometimes with the pass fail, it's easy to, to deal with as a GM, but sometimes with a lot of these that you have to keep coming up with what does a partial success look like, sure. or how bad do I make a failure, you know, like going back to like Dungeon World with the, you know, with the moves, like how, how when you can do any kind of move on a failure, how, how, how hard of a move do you do, you know, that, that can get kind of hard over time but i think it seemed like that was less that with the at least when i was dealing with blades in the dark it's interesting because it's funny when you say that i can see blades like forge in the dark having a similar issue yeah. it's different but it's still similar it still carries some of the problem because like you said we're one of the problems that you don't see in forge in the dark powered by the apocalypse generally has your old 2d6 and if it's 10 or above it's a total success if it's seven to nine is successfully catch and one through six it's a failure and a lot of times powered by the apocalypse it tells you exactly what those results are like it'll say 10 to 12 you know you deal damage and the other person doesn't take damage and something pick one of these three options yeah on seven to nine you both take damage but pick, you know, one option here and one option here and one's good and one's bad or something. And then, you know, the bottom, bottom one's like, you're the only one who takes damage and, you know, pick two of the three bad things that happen to you, um, which are hopefully prompts to kind of inspire you as the player or the game master of, oh, this is what happens. And I can pick one or two of the three things here, whichever one makes the most sense in the situation. And it kind of like, for me to just, oh yeah, that makes sense. Forge in the Dark removes that a lot of the times, but replaces it with 
you know, some more vagueness, um, which is good and bad. Like we don't have such a strict, you know, like guide where it's like, okay, when you roll and you succeed with the catch, we know there will be complications. And then over on the side here is like, here's a list of like, okay, well, these are three types of complications. And then each of them has, you know, five options that could be, and it's kind of like game master, you master this. And, and when these things happen, you kind of pick and choose what you're going to pepper on the character as complications. Right. Um, so there, right, there's a good and a bad of both. Because one is like, okay, the game master has to be really familiar. They can't just look at the book and be like, well, this is exactly what you do. But we're not stuck by the strict guidelines if this is exactly what happens. Because sometimes Powered by the Apocalypse falters um, on one of its best qualities. Is it? it's very stringent. Here are the 13 actions you can do in this game. If you do anything else, we will interpret them as one of these 13 actions, um, which is really jarring for new game masters because they're like, I don't know which one it is. And for players, because they're like, they kind of need the game master to have enough mastery that they can say, I'm doing, I'm going to, I'm going to attack the guy. And then the jam goes, Oh, I see. That's assault and battery. And then go ahead and roll. Okay. We're going to look at the chart and assault and battery, you know, right. Where the other has a lot more, you know, apply as necessary, but do I give them trouble? Do I give them, do I raise the danger clock? Do I give them a condition? Maybe I should give them two. Maybe I should give them one condition and raise the danger clock. Yeah, I kind of right. want to give them a narrative consequence of, you know, this thing, ha- they trip and hurt their toe, which has none of those other things, right? So, you know, like yeah. every game's got the good and the bad, right? Like of that makes them uniquely fit for somebody, so. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, having a genre kind of mapped out also probably helps aid in that i mean chew is definitely its own thing and i think if, if a person reads the comics they probably it's like i played leverage um the rpg but i had not seen the show sure so when we were i think a lot of us were playing it but not having seen the show we weren't we weren't um it wasn't the system wasn't really working the way we were trying to make it work oh interesting. players yeah and so you know, it's it's less about finding the clues, but it's 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 actually more about you know pinning it on somebody. It's not, you know what I mean. But we were treating it as an investigative game, where leverage yeah. isn't about that. So I think the same thing with Chew. It's like you know, if you if you watch, read the comics, you understand the vibe. If you look at the artwork, you kind of get the vibe. But it, yeah, I could see where if everybody's on board, this probably makes it much easier to have those those rulings and understanding, and everybody's on board. But if you just go in not understanding what what it's about. Um, you can be in for a shock. <laughs> yeah, you know what's interesting for us is one. You saw the character sheets, so we have these glorious character sheets which have art on them. That like again, well, when you say the glorious, vibe. they are glorious. They they are probably. <laughs> I, I looked at this and I was like, I cannot believe how much energy and time to make such a perfect character sheet. Like it is the <laughs> the most beautiful character sheet. I've ever seen. <laughs> Federico Sanz, everyone, uh, maker of Nibiru, and um, gosh, it's going to kill me right now. The um, he's got an expansion. It's Xanadu, like X A N A D U or something. I don't know how that's how you pronounce it. I pronounced it like the Nintendo game, I think. But yeah. you know, it was like Xanadu, and they are gorgeous. Um, so when you see what else. Federico does, especially for his own products that are published by Modifius. 
Um, it's less surprising that you see what he's brought to chew, but but that's why you find someone like Fede. You you go, <laughs> yeah. you look at what they've done, and then you you're like, okay, so I got this amount of money, and these are the top five people I found in the gaming industry. You know? oh. And then you just cold call, email, talk to your friends and say, hey, do you know one of these people? And then you see if they're available, you know, because like I know one of the people we talked to was working on the one ring. You know, and I was like, well, you have a lot of work to do, don't you? You know, yeah. And even with Fede, luckily, you know, you do this early enough, so you have time. Uh, I, you know, I contacted him and he's like, you know, I could probably start working in June of 2021, you know. Uh, so he had months. So that helps too, because anybody who's really, you know, I mean, they're all freelancers, they like steady paychecks, you know. But yeah. if you can help them fill in their calendar. And they they know how much money you're giving them. You know, it helps them figure out their rent and what they're going to do and uh, how much time they can dedicate. But yeah, especially with big talent, you you need to, you know, you need to fit their schedule, unfortunately, fortunately, you know, so. Yeah, it's, that's, that's quite a thing because I guess, you know, this was quite a, a, a pretty big leap to go into, you know, what you, you did is you, you know, licensed a, um, somebody else's IP. Yeah which I find just incredibly fascinating to, to be able just to go, and we, we kind of talked about it, uh, uh, a game will come, but just the idea you can kind of knock on somebody's door. Hello. Um, I want to make a game out of your IP. Yeah. <laughs> I'm worried it could become an addiction, you know, cause if you, you've had a lot of these episodes So the stuff, I don't know if you talked about this, but you know, there's, there's cool ebbs and flows in this gaming industry. And I'm saying this, not that I've lived long enough. I have, but I wasn't paying attention, but, uh, you know, I've read a lot about it because there's some historians in this gig, which is cool, of stuff like Designers and Dragons. And um, you can you can kind of read other people's ana uh, analyzations. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the word's not coming to me. Of, you know, how this industry works, especially for how game companies kind of ebb and flow, the timetables of like when RPGs are hot. All I'm trying to say is that licenses were really big in the early 2000s. But it was very quick, too, that they burned out. In the way that people just wrote them off as like, oh, it's Buffy. Oh, it's Angel. And some of them were good, but there was a lot of them that were just like, they felt like we just, you know, phoned it in. Oh, cool. That game system and this thing. Here you go. You know, right. like here's a D20 this, D20 that, D20 this. That just didn't feel like there was any meat to it. And I I, I mentioned to you before the show, I was listening to you talk about like the 2D20 system with Modifius. They're getting a lot of flack for this right now. Um, which of course they know history, like they're doing better than that time period, but like, right. They're still getting, it's hard to have any one game system really nail a whole bunch of different games. Um, it is. And it's kind of like heretical, heretic, heretical yeah. <laughs> blasphemy. It's kind of blasphemous. If you, as a game designer, because it's almost like game designer one-on-one is like, if you know, a game system probably does not fit your game. Like you have to make a game system for the game oh, unless right. miraculously it fits or you make your thing for that system right because every game's dungeon you know like the d and oh i'm like is there a different way to say it? there's no game system for D. it's just the D D system like it's diablo right like it, it's like it's based on like level going up getting magical items rinse and repeat into dungeons let's get more and more powerful and bigger and stronger till we can fight dragons like that's what yeah. it does and if you don't have that story, like if you're a story, we're, we're, we're not going to have, we're not going to become superheroes, you know, we're just like everyday people like call it Cthulhu. 
that we're like, okay, uh, over years, I might learn new skills, but it's not like, you know, in weeks. Right, 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 right. And yeah, it, D&D is its own genre, I think. It's, 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 there's no, it really isn't in the, I don't even know if it's even really in, in any of the D&D books. The idea that you start out you know, at level one and then you wind up being level 20. It's totally think, the power fantasy, you know? Yeah, but I mean, but everybody, I think like, I, I didn't read a lot of the Dritz books, but somebody mentioned like, you know, he maybe started out like at level three or four, but he quickly went up to a high level and stayed <laughs> there forever. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't know that there's really any, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's its own thing, but I think, but when you're reading other genres or, or actually reading fiction, right, then does, do the mechanics match that fiction? Yeah. So before I told, just totally throw us on that, that, that road of a tangent, you know, we're on another, we've, because of Kickstarter, we've put ourselves back in this place where you can stand out with an IP because it's one of the new bars when self-publishing is so easy and crowdfunding has allowed anyone to get capital. Um, and unfortunately, you know, things are popularity contests. So if you can, you know, if you're the most popular game designer in your area, <laughs> you know, right. most followers, you can fund your stuff. Um, there's a sea of stuff out there. And even for some of us who've been making these for a while, um, if you aren't, you know, a big brand like Monty Cook, like if you're a little brand, thankfully you started you know, a little before everyone else, because now it's even harder to be just somebody who pops on the scene because there's so many designers, so many games. But that's where we're at. It's just people who are like, okay, well, it's an IP grab. And we're seeing Free League, for example. Like Free League is probably our current leader, right, of the IP grab, um, which, well, that and Modifius. But um, I don't know when it'll burn out, but we're just at this Kickstarter period again where we're all using, we're all setting up shop in the same area. So how do you stand out? Especially when there's certain times, certain months that we all want to you know, go out and make our money. Um, you're trying to find how many audiences you can bring to the table. Uh, just like the number of podcasts or interviews you do, yeah. you know, it's like what communities will come with me when I launch and an IP as a community, a game system as a community podcasts or community, your local area is a community. You know, if you're a part of a group, like the indie game developer network or something, that's a community, but yeah, it's, it's kind of a game of like, like running for office, like who comes to the table with me, which groups are with me, you know? Yeah, it's also interesting kind of tying, I, I'm not, I should have done some more reading on this before I bring this up, but I think there's, there's some, there's no local, like people freaking out because Doctor Who's going to use the, the fifth edition, D&D fifth edition rules. Yeah, I just saw that. Um, I saw that and I was very interested myself because, you know, I didn't, I don't ever really read into these things too much as in like, you know, I. I got an email notification that there was some stuff on Twitter and one of them caught my eye. And it was about something about that. And, and I, so I actually opened it and looked at it and I saw someone else apologize of good note, you know, because he said, you know, I kind of bandwagoned them too. And I'm a notable designer and I shouldn't do that. And they're right. So, I mean, like Hellboy, you know, I was doing research for Chew and Hellboy last summer launched 5e Manus Studios or something out of the UK. Huge, you know, like $300,000 Kickstarter or something. 5e has been the largest growing, biggest booming, solid, you know, bang for your buck system du jour on Kickstarter for the last few years. There was a very strong period for Powered by the Apocalypse beforehand. But then, you know, if you look, I, I, 
I don't have the data in front of me, but clearly it's like who is making the most money on the regular in the Kickstarter area of tabletop role-playing games. And you would clearly see it's the 5e, right? Like the world's greatest role-playing game system, the right. 5e OGL stuff. Um, so it gets a lot of hate in the industry and from the game design community because we're resentful. We're jealous. We're annoyed. <laughs> um, I, I personally, like, it's, it's a weird thing to spend so much time every day thinking and working and building a business on role-playing games and not be in the 5e space or the pathfinder or maybe the dcc space which are big but not anywhere near as big as you know the big dog and know that at any time if somebody came to me and was like hey pete i want to make something for role-playing games like you know and they had some fantasy anything i'm going to tell them and be like you should really do something 5e adjacent with this even if it's just to get started. It's like that thing, like something like your parents tell you growing up or you know, some, someone mentoring you will always tell you the best thing you should do, but it may not be the thing you want to do or the thing that's for you. Right, exactly. And we're all struggling to make, you know, to find our audience, to make, make it to the next level, to sell more product, to get the better talent. It doesn't matter who you are. It just seems like, because it's just a niche industry, right? So we're all just fighting tooth and nail but people like I'm not crossing that line. And unfortunately, that's kind of what it is. There's a lot of people feeling like it's like crossing the line. Now, Cubicle 7 is a big company with a lot of licenses, a lot of great products, a lot of great games, quality stuff, been at conventions for years. You know, I think they're a UK-based company. I could be wrong. No, I but believe I mean, they are. Yeah. That's even harder to bridge the gap because you know, when you go to conventions and stuff, how do you get your shit there? You know, like anything over the waters, I even now, could you imagine now with the supply chain stuff? I mean, it's just all a joke or you have double, you have stuff stored here and stuff stored there, but then where do you put it? Cause then you still got to have somebody to take it from there. You know, it's a nightmare. So they have a lot of hurdles that they're dealing with to be as viable as they have been. So anyway, yep. They've had a, what's it? I think the guy said, he's got like a 10 year run with Dr. Who. Like they have a lot of product line and products and like a long-standing good game people are happy with. And they're like, you know what? And his, ex his justification was like, we did this with the one ring too, but nobody cared as much then, right? As they do now. Right, like why? why you know, yeah, exactly. I, I'd be shocked too. It's like all of a sudden. He said there was hate, but it wasn't like as publicized as it is now. Well, but I think, yeah, it may, and I don't understand why people would be so angry. Uh, over that but it's uh, there's more adjacent selling out dnd selling with, out yeah <laughs> that's all it is it's 100 all it is um and unfortunately it's who who decides if you sold out that's been that's like the one of those long-standing conversations right that's been around since the 60s like who gets to decide what's selling out and what's not there's clear visible selling out but like you know it, that line moves but to and me right now if you go 5e when you don't do that, you yeah. sell out. Well, to me, the problem is for me would be like, I can't imagine how you would make a Doctor Who using the 5e. I mean, to me, <laughs> the gymnastics of coming up with a game system that works for that style of game to me is, I, I can't even, I, I don't know what, I don't know how they would handle it. Well, and what you're saying here is the truth is that it, it, it well, it doesn't, it doesn't. Right. Like it, I wanted to say flat out, it doesn't, but just like, uh, 
you know, when I was young, we played everything in the in D and D, right? Like, or because Shadowrun was my early one of my early game systems, we played other games that were not really Shadowrun, but they were like something like it. It was a homebrew thing that was basically using the rule system. You can make it work. It doesn't sing. It's not good at it, but most people don't care. That there's a reason why, like you know, sixty percent or more of the industry still plays D and D. They don't care that much about the mechanics. And the current movement of since Critical Role, the boom we've been experiencing is like the oh, don't let them get in the way. Like the rules aren't that important. It's the story. But all this is more like. D&D is not that good. It's okay. Just deal with it. <laughs> you know, like it's overhearing. Well, but I think in general, I think it's, I, I, I actually need to talk to some people who have actually played the Doctor Who role-playing game. But okay. in general, I mean, to me, it, those shows are very difficult. To me, <laughs> those would be very difficult to encapsulate mechanics. Right. I mean, well, like we said earlier cool now the doctor has levels how about that <laughs> you know like it's just funny to think about you're like okay suddenly his abilities are like spells or like use per day abilities you know i mean like it, it's gonna be weird for people who have played the other one but what they would say to you is this isn't for you this is for the people who will never leave D, who will play this because they're like oh i like doctor who and i like D." It's not for anybody else. I just you know, wonder hopefully if those it, people will buy this and then buy the other one. Oh, I'm sure it would be, but I just wonder, but, but if it's bad, if the <laughs> mechanics are bad and people don't like it, I mean, legitimately just say, you know what, this just, this isn't Dr. Who that's a, that's a danger too. But I think you're right. I mean, if you could tie anything to, to something that's already because people, people there's two groups of people. I, I I think with gaming, there's there's people who enjoy running different game systems every yeah. you know a few times a year, and there's other people. It's like, no, we are sticking with <laughs> you know this. I wish I knew what the number was, but I was told or read something that seemed to be the common common thought for a while, and but I just don't know how dated it is. But they were they were saying that it was like for a long period of time that people only would ever play in their life three games. And that suddenly it was like, you know, we've had since like the 90s, in the 80s. I mean, it really just keeps going back. There's been a lot of games. But for a long period of time, people only still, on average, played like three games in their life. So there's a longstanding history that like we've lived, you know, like those last 30, 40 years or whatever. It's like an explosion with the internet and games and all kinds of video games and, you know, phone games and now role playing, you know, it's just all there. But we're fighting like human psychology of things like, you know, uh, my grandparents would tell you that like games are for kids, you know, and there's just a long standing history still. My mom was that way. That maybe you still, still play those in psychology. Ga- you still some? play those games? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my mom doesn't understand. Like, my dad was still asking me the other day. He's like, oh, you have a new game? You know, it's just like, a, like, yeah, this is the big one that we talked about. <laughs> you know, just, it's not what they care about. So it is what it is. No, it's, it's hard to comprehend. It's like my, my son playing uh, roadblocks. I, I watch it and I like, I just don't get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and I think I heard you talk in a different episode about, you know, it's like actual plays for us. Um, yeah. And for a lot of people. There's some there's some kind of like generational age gap for most. Now there's quite a few people, uh, you know, of their like 35 plus that it's nostalgic because they haven't had a gaming group. 
So there is a large amount of people out there who would say, you know, it's, it's not always age. So for some of us, it's just like, I missed having a table of people to geek out over something with. So they're, they're just enjoying the camaraderie as much yeah. as they are the actual thing. But for most of us, you know, uh, I didn't know there was a World of Darkness documentary. Have you seen that? No. There's a World of Darkness documentary on um, Amazon Prime. Are you and, serious? And it came out like a couple of years ago. Um, it's over an hour long. I haven't finished it yet, but I've been watching it. It's, it's, you know, what's funny about documentaries is they make everything sound awesome. You know, like if you have a documentary about anything, yeah, suddenly that thing is the most interesting thing in the world. And I think part of it is because they can like sensationalize things that you don't remember that well. So they just talked about how like it came out of the eighties and like how like the changing of the eighties to the nineties and like the music shifting and like the generational of like the, the Republicans in control and the wall coming down, all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And you're right. Vampire, the masquerade is the reason why it all happened. And then I was like, <laughs> what the F did I just say? You know, like, like it was just like this counterculture movement. But uh, anyway, you should watch it if you get time because it's cool and it's about the industry. So like, of course, yeah. you're going to be super stoked. And it talks about like how it came about and like what it meant and like what it really built and how it changed role-playing games and all the stuff that came out, you know, influenced by it, you know, the years after. But um, I, I wish I remembered why that was important. I, I totally forgot <laughs> yeah. why that was important. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't rewind that far. <laughs> we were talking about Doctor Who and selling out. And like you said, it just, uh, it'll be a 5e version with levels and some kind of magic. And we, we know that like what this game system's good for is fighting monsters, gaining levels, and, you know, but like, like Chew would not be good for Dungeons and Dragons. Like no. the characters, while they evolve and get better at what they do over time, over 60 issues of years of comic books, it's still nowhere near like going from like first to fifth level. You know, like <laughs> that's like, just the thing is most games, the, that doesn't matter. The key though, I think, isn't the experience. The key for that, as far as experience points, the key to Chew and playing Chew is the, the experience of playing in that world. Yeah. That's the reward. Yeah. And, you know, like most games of a similar feel, part of the audience for Chew is that, like, you get to be above the law. You get to be a person along the spectrum of any which way. Like, you can be a mooch or, you know, yeah, a yeah. bag, or you could be <laughs> smart. You could be, you know, smart to the point where you're condescending. But, you know, it, it's a game where it, it doesn't, you don't have any problems being bad. Or taking anything to the extremes, whether good or bad, in that comic sense, right? Like they should be flawed characters. And there's a freedom in that. And it's often a freedom not seen in something like investigative games, where, you know, often it's very like to the point and analytical and be safe and be reserved. In this game, it's literally like, no, seriously, if you want to blame, you know, the airport attendant that screwed up your flight in the very first moment of the game, yeah. you can keep building a case and just blame them for what happened. Uh, and at least get away with it for the one shot. You know, I mean, eventually someone's going to be like, did they do it? Did they really? <laughs> Especially if there's like murders related, like there's going to keep being murders, but you know, you'll, you'll be gone. <laughs> yeah. And I think there's a certain amount of, you know, you, you know, and there's games, you know, you don't want the wheels coming off, but yeah, this is one where there is no problem with wheels coming. I mean, it, yeah. it, it, it's it's actually 
I don't want to say it's encouraged. You, you know, there's probably, there's still limits, but, but in general, it's, it's, it is a game of, of just, uh, <laughs> of just outlandishness. One of the things I try to say, and for those that have seen Tropic Thunder, the movie and, you know, love, you know, know the beloved scene of like, I got your TiVo and like, the guy's movie agent from years ago that somehow over the course of the movie is worried that he's losing his old star that no longer matters because he's more successful now, but he still feels tied to that person. Like that person was the reason he got big in the first place and has a successful, you know, like movie agent career that he's going to go to where they're filming in like Myanmar and make sure that he gets his TiVo, like the star that he is, that he should have suitable (laughs) conditions. And like he arrives to throw that, in the way of a helicopter that is shooting a rocket launcher at like the star test and the TiVo explodes gloriously. And somehow, of course, you know, the TiVo blows up and they're okay. Like from a rocket you know, on this yeah. guy. But the point is out of the blue, you, you should have saw it coming at the end. There's the, I got your TiVo out of yeah. nowhere. And it flies to the way it explodes in the sky. And the, the people are on the ground are like, what the hell just happened? And if that doesn't happen, every game of Chew in some way, it kind of failed. Like it should have something probably out of the character's own history, like some person or thing in their troubled past, because they each have a trouble on their sheet of something that's uh, a personal problem that's plaguing them. If that doesn't explode in their face and threaten to take the A plot over, it's probably like a, it's probably failed in some way. Uh, and I kind of wondered, you, you made me think something earlier was that like it's a game where almost like if its mechanics are a little messy and all over the place, it fits like the, the, the medium, like the story, right? Yes, you're right. There's no challenge ratings. This it shouldn't is... be super clean. If it's too clean, yeah. it wouldn't be chew, you know? <laughs> yeah, why are these people in jars? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why this game system is forcing me to only have these three options at all times. I can only do this or this. Um, you know, one of the things I did want to get back to you because it's important as a selling point, but also as a game designer feedback thing of like, so how do we make the characters feel like Chew for the people who don't know Chew? And like we mentioned, you know, a lot of the case, the world itself, because everyone's got like a food power or they're a celebrity, they got some weird quirk. But they also each have three approaches, which are just like characteristics, like personality traits that describe the characters and everything they do. And it helps a lot of people figure out who their character is from the moment they have a character sheet in front of them. Right. Because they can know what to play to. And what we like about that, too, is that like a comic book character, most of them have, like we said, like maybe they're dutiful or vengeful or brash to a flaw. So by having things like that, not only are we helping you figure out that this is a person that you're playing a character, but also making sure that it stays a little bit tropey in the way that like to one of these will kind of be a little bit of your doom. Like, you know, are you brooding? Are you kind of a hornball? You know, there's something here that's also a little bit risque for you. Um, but yeah, having those quirks, like if you can cook really fast, oh boy, what does that do? But if you tie that in with being able to have mashed potato drones or um, making tortillas into like tortilla ninja stars. Uh, suddenly it's like, I can whip up court tortillas as fast as you can start throwing them as ninja yeah. stars. <laughs> and we have a cool combination of powers, but when you start throwing ninja stars made out of tortillas against like a gang of people with machine guns, you know, like it changes the tone and the mood of what's going on. Right. And how you feel as a player approaching it, you know? So 
characters have uh, playbooks for kind of like our classes, which is common with Powered by the Apocalypse and uh, Forge in the Dark. And they give you a list of perks, which kind of like special abilities unique to your, uh, you know, class or playbook in this case. And those also add to it. Um, for those that don't know Forge in the Dark, one of the notable differences of that from Powered by the Apocalypse is that for better or worse, which may be a good discussion point, is it's got this thing called position and effect. So every time you go to do anything, the player tells the game master what I'm going to use to make my role. And the game master tells them, okay, I think if you did that in this situation, it would have this level of risk and this possible level of reward. And then they can revise or roll. So the point of that is the game master never tells you what to roll. You might walk up to some person and clearly you're going to have a conversation with them. And like most games, you're like, oh, that's a charm roll. No, that player is going to tell me why it's gutsy if they want to. And they're going to describe how it fits better for guts. And then I'm going to say, based on kind of how I buy it, right, that I think they're either in control of the situation, it's risky, or it's desperate. And that's going to change the tone of whatever the role is on like how many consequences there are to what level. Could this potentially crit fail kind of thing? And also it might change how I judge, uh, will it have a limited effect, a standard effect, or a great effect, kind of like a crit success if they succeed. And it's a game because of all that player agency it wants the players to have, it wants the players to be able to kind of choose how they want to play the game. And for the judge again, to kind of guide their choices, make sure they kind of know what's going on. Um, so the perks of a character sheet like the different playbooks also play in things like that because choose a game where we, we said above the law, some people are you know, running into their problems. It's a new way to kind of also mechanize mechanics. I'm like, we can base mechanics also on, are you in a desperate situation? How often are you putting your player character in a desperate situation? Because it's the hotshot playbook, we want you to be desperate more often because you're reckless or brash. And when you are, we want you to be successful uh, or have these added benefits because we want you to play to that because that's who right. you tried to play, um, which is a little bit of guiding we said from Powered by the Apocalypse, but it's a neat twist mechanically that we have these threat levels per action role, that we have these labels of the kind of effect you can have so that we can also build rules on top of those. Like, oh, every time this character has a great effect when talking to other people since they're the mascot, you know, like somebody falls in love with it. Uh, okay, right? Like now I know that will happen, but I want to make sure that I'm getting great effects when I go to do stuff. And if not, I'm talking to the game master in a conversation with everyone else around hearing it and maybe they'll help, maybe we'll contribute, we'll collaborate, you know, because we all kind of then start understanding what we're doing. Um, but keeping that conversation alive at the table. Yeah, and I think what's interesting too is, is you know, I do read some people who, uh more traditional gamers kind of poo-pooing oh sure and i and i i kind of did too yeah before <laughs> before yeah especially yeah. but i think they've never they obviously have never played and there's a lot of assumptions that just because there is this going off the table doesn't mean that the characters are are safe it, it actually may it may be the other way people may be taking more risk because now risk in this type of game risks can be interesting <laughs> yeah yeah because um you know that leads that's total segue into another love it or hate it thing about forge in the dark is that they have resistance so you have this meter of a resource in blades in the dark it's your stress and 
chew, it's your appetite. It's a number of points you have on a bar that you can spend to get an extra die when you need it for like describing a thing in a certain way or um, helping someone else do something, but you can also spend it to resist consequences. So I can put myself in a desperate situation, roll like shit, it'd be horrible what happens and then be like, you know what, but I'm going to spend some resistance over here. And what you just told me, Game Master, you're either going to say it didn't happen or you're going to reduce it. Like I didn't die. I lost my hand, you know, like or a bomb exploded and I'm under the rubble, but I didn't, I'm not, you know, I didn't die or get crumbled or crushed or maimed. Um, the, again, total player agency thing is why it exists. But with Chew, it became this thing that was so perfect. It was one of the selling points. I now as a game master, no longer ever have to worry about trying to kill your character. I don't care if it's five minutes in. I don't care if it's an hour in. I don't care if it's back-to-back rolls. I can, whenever I want, have a sniper shoot you because it makes sense in the narrative, have a person walk in and just shoot the first person that's there. Uh, you know, you catch a gun in your hand and it blow the digits off your finger, you know, fingertips off. And I can say these things and do these things to your character because you have a number of times based on the dice that you'll be able to say, you know what? That's a little too far. That's too much. Yeah, Don't kill yeah. my character. But when it runs out, you can't stop it anymore. So you also know the first time you're like, oh, well, that's great. Oh, God. Oh, well, I can do this more than one time, I guess. But then the second time, or maybe the third time, you realize pretty quickly that, oh, he will never hold his punches back. If I have run into a situation and they all have guns, every single one of them might try to shoot me in the head, you know, like, yeah. or I just might be like barraged, right? Like it's, it's, uh, the hero movie with the arrows at the end, you know, the guy, 10, a 10,000 oh, yeah, yeah. army shoots yeah. arrows at one guy, you know, like, um, and you kind of have this, like, as a game master moment of like having your cake and eating it too, because the first one maybe gets them to go, Oh, well, that's, I don't know if I like that. I could just resist that, but we still got to describe it. And it still put a little tension on the table because the player is still kind of like, are they really just going to let me like, roll to pay how many points and it didn't happen but if it keeps happening you know it's like the texas chainsaw massacre you've now seen him kill a few people and you're the only one left you know it's coming unless you do something about it and we're also generous about you being able to do stuff uh because chew is very it's very important we wanted some chemistry which you don't necessarily see so much in the one shots because the players don't have chemistry either right um but the them being like, I know it's in the middle of the case, but I really need a little r right now, which adds to the zaniness and the chemistry of, well, somebody's going to be mad at you for trying to take a break in the middle of the case to go like write a poem or whatever your, your jam is. <laughs> but, you know, you're losing some of your drive or you're getting really beat up with conditions. And these things require sometimes conversations with other players to kind of boost you back up or to lash out at somebody or to tell someone a lie so that you can cover things up. We have all these cool, interesting effects, whether it's to heal your character fast or to remove these conditions that are building, which is, again, kind of like healing your character, but um, more efficiently or trying to regain some of that appetite so you could resist stuff again, but at the cost of time or the case getting worse because you're kind of blowing things off a little bit, which is important because people do that in real life too. And we want that element. Like, like I said from the get-go, 
there's gotta be moments where the players are like, you know, just fuck this case today, man. Like, I'm just, can't we just tomorrow we'll wake up and we'll, we'll do our job. But tonight, you know what? I'm just screw this. Like, this is just too much. I'm having a shit day. Um, so we like that those choices exist. And well, I think the thing too, it's like, right. I don't know if it's always the case, but like the, uh, whoever the, the, the manager was for the, our characters. I mean, oh, she yeah. was, she was in a position of being an, <laughs> an antagonist. I mean, there's, it's, there's a number of characters and situations that are in there that you can play off all those, you know, I'm angry or I'm whatever. I can't remember all the, those different conditions are, but, yeah. it, and also with your character, a number of hooks for them to interact in ways that you can, you can ham it up. I and mean, it's a, it's really a, to me, a game about hamming things up. This yeah. is not a game about being conservative. This is a, <laughs> this is, this is, you know, drive it like you stole it. You know, this yeah. is that type of game. It, that, that's the best fit for how, like we said, the action packed nature of every episode or every uh, comic issue in 2020 some pages being like, wow, that was great. But I, like they had a thing, they did it, they saw it a completion, but there's still something going on. But, you know, there was no no building. It was it was like, wow, they went there already? I thought that was going to be like three issues in or or as comics do, a lot of times they do like five issue arcs because that's why they wrap a trade paperback these days. Yeah. Because, you know, like, like industries are changing. We like to binge watch TV, right? That's happened in the last 10, 15 years is like the, the Netflix effect. So uh, it's killing the comic industry right now because the comic industry is, they need you to buy the comics, but you wait till there's five or six of them. And then months after that, for when they release it in the collection, and that's how you're eating them up these days. But that's not how their industry works. So, you know, they're, they're having like, you know, especially if they're like, you know, image comics or, you know, groups that are more independent, IDW and stuff like they're the creators, if they're creator owned, like they're just putting out shit for it's kind of like a Kickstarter, right? They're, but instead of not being front loaded, it's back loaded. Like they're just like, I'm going to put out a bunch of shit and a bunch of shit and a bunch of shit, months of like, you know, 80 hour weeks. And then I'm just you know, in the red, in the red, in the red, in the red. And then here's the trade paperback. Oh, thank God. You know, or I'm, I'm yeah. done. I'm out of business, you know, like they, it, there are a lot of industries that have just been thrown for a loop, whether it's the last 20 years or the last two with COVID, you know? Um, I don't know how that gets fixed either. I mean, unless they all go to Kickstarter, maybe that's what it is. You go to Kickstarter, you get that preloaded money uh, for, you know, three issues, you crowdfund it or something. That's gotta be like, I, I don't, at least, I mean, that's how it works in my industry. So I guess that's why I see it that way. But Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not, you know, as in the comics, like I was, but, but I, things don't go back. Yeah. And, no, they but, don't. But, and whatever this is now, it won't stay this way forever. That'd be true. something different. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was uh, doing um, Mike Broder's show. He does, uh, he's a host on Fear the Beat, which is like the longest running like uh, RPG podcast. They're like, oh, I used to listen to it for a long time. Yeah. And uh, Broder started as kind of like their uh, retail liaison because he was a part of the Fantasy Shop, which is a really successful chain of stores in St. Louis. Um, but he's got his own thing uh, at goinfo.org, like the influence organization. He's doing like why we game with news and stuff. And he has really been working an angle that he thinks, you know, RPGs are going digital. 
Uh, and by that, he means that D&D and Wizard of the Coast is going digital and it's coming. Um, and, you know, again, we don't know. That's all he said, she said right now. But, uh, you know, D&D Beyond has been killing it and people love it. And it's really been setting the stage, honestly, for that. And they have corporate masters over there at Hasbro. And, uh, you know, we're about at the next anniversary for D&D, which would, you know, probably link up with the next edition. But 5e is really popular right now. So it's probably like a 5.5 thing, um, which may be a great time to go digital. Because uh, well, they, they can't do the missteps of 4e. Yeah, that's why you got to do 5.5. Five. You can't go 6 because it's too scary. But I mean, as far as I think they tried to create a system, it, I, I've never played 4e. This is just me from what I've heard, is that it was almost impossible to make a character. But if you subscribe to these online tools, yeah, it was very easy. Yeah. And that it, they really are trying to force people into digital subscriptions. I almost bought Lancer the other day, like kind of the hottest, most recent mech game. Yeah. I saw a review on it and they were like, yeah, the character sheets are shit. The character creation kind of, it's just too much, too much analysis paralysis, but they have the best character creation app ever. And you will never make a character without it. And I was just like, okay, I just, but you already, it wasn't the app. It was the, like, you just told me plenty of the reasons why I really don't need it in my life. Like I love the art and I like the idea and the concept, but I did see enough tactical in it and that it also kind of steered, I made me want to steer clear, you know, volume of pages and enough heft that I'm like, I don't expect my players to learn, you know, that I'm going to have to teach them. That's hard, right. And then the app, I was like, ah, no. I've had a friend who's playing Lancer online and he loves it, Uh, but it's, but I don't know how much, how most of the people that I run games for, they do not want to do much investing of time into anything. They just want to come. Well, I like chew. That's what's perfect. I chew. It's just come and play. You know, my daughter, my oldest daughter was talking about, you know, some friends were playing vampire. I said, well, you're not going, it's not going to be the game for you because it's more about the lore than it is the mechanics. And oh, if you yeah. don't understand all these clans and their relationships and, you know, I mean, that's really where the juice is for that game. It's not really in the games. Not saying the game system's bad, but, you know, just it's it's not like uh, playing, um, you know, like a Powered by the Apocalypse Monster of the Week, you know, where yeah. you just, I'm a vampire. Okay. You know. It is kind of hard. You know, I know um, for years there, because I, I saw a lot of games uh, in the convention environment. And I was selling Urban Shadows with, you know, for Magpie because they're yeah. a network at the time. And, um, you know, Urban Shadows just to me clearly just seemed like your alternative. It's like, hey, this is the one, two to three hundred six by nine book that you'll ever need. Yeah. Good. You know, here's the couple things that will hold you back. Like it kind of leans towards having one of each faction. Yeah. Like it doesn't really want you to all be vampires. Uh, which you can, you just don't really want you to, because it's a little bit more about the city and the politics between the different factions. Um, but I mean, you know, World of Darkness, like you want to get interested now, it's like Warhammer, you know, like um, there isn't a core book that tells you the whole game anymore because you need more than one book for the lore, let alone, you know, like the system and how to play it and other things. Um, so if you, you know, if you're getting in, I guess, you know, I always look at it as a game master though, right? I look at it like I have to read every bit of it. As a player, it's different if you're like, hey, will you run this game for me? Cool. I'll buy the core book and, you know, read 10 pages. You know, like, 
<laughs> the 10 pages that are important to me. Um, yeah. And the one I want game I want to play or run is RuneQuest, but I also realize sure. it's a lot of reading on my part to, to at least, cause that's a very uh, yeah. cultural heavy game as well. And that can be great. But you know, like you said, I, it sounds like you have the same thing I do. Like, and I mostly look at like Legend of the Five Rings experience and Shadowrun experience of like, you know, great lore, interesting dynamics, politics, history, um, interesting thing, like especially Shadowrun, like just, you know, bending how we look at society, activities that happen every five to 10 years. Yeah. And like, here's the 20 page crash course of all the crazy ass shit you couldn't imagine that happened or something like our world. And you can't get anybody to read any of it. You know, they just don't like most players. It's like they show up to the game, you know, like, oh, we were all supposed to make a character just last week, but these two people weren't there. They show up and they're still working on this meeting. And, you know, like, it's just all a little sloppy and behind. And um, you will have at least one person who will read all that stuff and they will be as caught up or further than you, you know, but it's just it, it sucks that it like if it doesn't have teeth, like it doesn't mechanically force them to know, then they don't, you know. I a lot of role playing games forever I think had that twenty questions thing. I think it's where Forge in the, I think it's where Blades in the Dark wins, and that they have a pretty detailed system, but it's left fairly open. Sure, and you can well, only just say there's ghosts and there's electric guns and there's this. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Well, mostly because the mechanics then become narrative. Like one, you know, these are like Legend of the Five Rings. Even the newest versions was like, oh, you need an NPC, make a whole character. Right. I mean that. You know, that's a joke. Like I'm like, what? Yeah, you close the book, put it back on the shelves. Like uh, I'm never doing that again. You know, um, maybe for like the one big bad. Like, but don't tell me like there's no rules on how to make like the shopkeeper. <laughs> like they might turn bad. Um, but you know, Power by the Apocalypse is going to be like it's a guy. So basic rules of it's a guy, and here are three narrative traits. You know, like pushy you know they're insulting or they're like super strong or something and then like when that stuff helps it's like they get a plus one or a re-roll you know that kind of stuff is like the new age rules light mechanics where like i can make up that person as needed you know um and i like having that freedom as a game master i can't imagine how some people i mean a lot of people especially dungeon dragons do that where they're like they're prepping two hours for the two-hour encounter they're gonna have you know um yeah i can't imagine I, that. I haven't done that in so long and I just never want to go back, you know? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> well, and I, you know, it's funny speaking about that aloud is I, I really truly feel like it won't be that much longer before we have enough internet connectivity with augmented reality or something where it's like, we won't have to, you know, because <laughs> we'll just be like cloud. I want this, this, and this, and everything will be at least for, farther enough on the internet that it's like, we can all play GURPS again, you know, because like, we can all the math can happen up there right exactly like, well that's why i realized with i, I was playing the uh, i subscribed to the foundry which is um it's a it's tabletop uh it's a it's a virtual tabletop software which but, people are loving by the way i did a roll 20 you know kickstarter stretch yeah. goal and a ton of people were like just roll 20 only roll 20 what about foundry here's all the facts details did you know that rolled the foundries this this and this and i was like whoa <laughs> yeah you can put random tables in there people love foundry yeah and it's really easy to set random tables so you could play you know uh, they set up i've not played the the hero system one but they've got a hero system one set up but, but i was just seeing like roll master 
that was a complicated game. You know, you roll on a chart, you do the cross indexing, then you, then you see if you got a crit, then you flip to the proper critical chart, yeah. and you roll on that. It's like, well, if you could just do it in one button, yeah. all that taken care of, but better than better being, you know, you can go Suddenly, back to complex. We won't be playing rules like games anymore. You know, right? It's going to go the other. I way. Love them, but and that's my jam. But like, that's the problem. The reason they exist is the the functionality, right? Like. We all have busier lives than ever because we all have cell phones, you know? So um, that changed everything and the internet, right? Clearly, but like every moment of your day, you have something to look at if you want to. And it's at the palm of your hand, you know? We're, we're never bored anymore, which I can't imagine because like I, I wouldn't have any of the creativity or the thoughts or the great games that I had, at least as a youth that, you know, I'm sure carries some over to today, right? Of who I am. If I wasn't so damn bored. Yeah. I mean, you know, there was nothing on TV. Um, I, there's no ride. I, there was, you know, I walked home from school. Yeah. I would get on my bike. I would ride all over town, kicking over logs, looking for bugs. I mean, you'd read D and D books because oh, yeah. you're at school. So what else are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> or it's just a cold afternoon. There's, you know, there's nothing on, there's only three channels and, yeah, you're going to make a dungeon. You're going to pull out the Dungeon Master's Handbook. You're going to draw out the dungeon, and you're going to calculate the cost while you're doing it. Yeah, I beat the video game I was playing. I went to the video store the other day, and I I, I played all the new stuff I cared to, you know. Yeah, like, you just – I rode the bus home, or like you said, I took a walk to school or whatever it is. Like, there was just thought and time. <laughs> and, you know, like, it's just uh, – it's a really – big thing that no one really talks about you know enough is the, like the loss of boredom which is a weird thing to say out loud but yeah if you ever read like you know reading like calvin and Hobbes, you know that was i didn't necessarily go to dinosaurs but that was my childhood <laughs> I, I was on an alien planet i was doing whatever you know i would go for laundry they have like this this like almost like a doorway and I would walk through it and like, what if this goes to another dimension? <laughs> but it's just like our world. I mean, you know, yeah. you have all these crazy thoughts that you don't ever, you just, whatever it may be, you're stomping around, you're on a frozen planet, you're on Hoth. I mean, it's just, you know, that's the kind of stuff we did, but now you're right. You just, you, you don't have the opportunity to be bored. You're yeah. not forced into those, those situations. But even as an adult, I'm like finding myself angry. Like, why do I have to have my cell phone, you know, to look at at any moment that I have nothing going on. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know about you. It's, it seems like a lot of us go through at least periods where like we put the phone down, Like, yeah. can I just leave it in the other room for an hour? But <laughs> like anything else, you will have those times where it's, it's a, I'm trying to think of a good analogy, but then somebody's coming to you and like, why didn't you have your phone? Yeah. Why aren't you by your phone? What if there's an emergency and you're like, Hey man, you know, I don't need to be tied to my phone every hour, every minute of the day, but that's becoming less and less acceptable, you know? So it's, uh. well, and that's just it. Cause you think about, that's what I was thinking about too. It's like, you know, like you don't have a phone with you and you're going to be gone. It's like, you know, I might be worried like, well, you don't have your phone. It's like, it's like in the nineties, we didn't have any phones in the eighties. We didn't have, I mean, we didn't have phones, you know, there was no, you know what I mean? The only connect phone you had was one that was wired to a wall. If you got in a car and drove, <laughs> there's no calling anybody. <laughs> but now we get like panicky, like 
going on I, a trip without a phone or whatever. I can tell you know, I, or even like uh, I drive like thirty minutes. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to leave my phone to charge or something. But now I have those thoughts because I usually have the safety and security of having it in case of emergency. You know, yeah. and you're just like, when did that happen? Or I'm worried about it 10 minutes later on the road because, like, if I get stranded, what am I going to do without a phone? And, you know, when you see people stranded, it's different now because you're like, yeah, oh, look, they got a phone. Clearly, they're calling for help. You know, it's like, yeah, exactly. I can just if you're the person by. without the phone, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> Everyone's just driving by, like, obviously they have a phone. Yeah, it's definitely a different world. It's definitely rewired us. And I think in, with gaming, it's going to be interesting to see where that all heads. I know there's been a push, I think, to electronic implementation in games, you know, like a decade ago, which I think failed. Yeah, it's coming, though. But it's, it's, it's like the right. D, like you said, 4E, too early. Um, D&D Beyond, killing it now. I don't know much about it other than it's killing it. And everyone that I know that uses it loves it. Uh, I'm with you. I'm like, that seems like a death nail. How could you possibly move to subscription? I mean, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be D&D successfully, right? Like, and they're as big as ever. Do they need everyone to go do it? No. You know, it's, it's again, it's the, it goes back to the cubicle seven. Like uh, if, if 60% of the market plays D&D and 60% of them don't care if your game's good, because to them, it's, oh, well, of course it's good. It's D&D, but Doctor Who. Like, they don't know what's good mechanics. You know, they just play Doctor Who D&D. Um, and they're okay with that. But then us snobby people, you know, kind of sewers, right. the enthusiasts, the, the niche, the, the industry right over here in the bubble are like, the, you know, the 20% on the side are like, what are those idiots doing? Like, yeah, we're, yeah. we're the, the overlords. Like, yes. they don't even know. They're just sheep, and they're yeah. playing the D and D Doctor Who. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think the thing is, obviously, you know, we can see the the economically speaking, I mean, that 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 fixes all your supply chain issues. Yeah, and and you know, Cubicle Seven's just you're just trying to keep it going. Right. And then I'm like, hey, oh, we, yeah. we did 10 years of good Doctor Who. So what if we're going to do three years of bad Doctor Who? It's going to sell. And we're going to then, then we have more money to make some more good, whatever the next thing you like is, you know, I, I did used to joke about it's probably a bad analogy, but I would say stuff like, where's the Legend of Zelda video game? You know, like, I'm sorry, video game. Where's the Legend of Zelda, like, you know, role playing game. And some people are like, oh, it's D&D. There's a lot of things that are like could be D&D, but they're not like what I mean is there are cash cows and they exist and they're right in front of you. Um, I thought um, kids on bikes was kind of a, a cash grab, you know, because yeah. like, it was like, Oh, stranger things season yes. two, let's take savage worlds, call it, you know, kids on bikes and, you know, and then pick, picking on them, but like, you know, like a brotherly picking because they're cool people like Lewandowski and, you know, Gilmore is like the hottest, you know, he, what's the, um, God, I can't think of the name, but he made that board game that was like the, uh, it's kind of like the Walking Dead board game. I can't think of what it's called. Like, a, a, damn it. But yeah. Oh, I mean, uh, Dead a Winner? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And like, you know, hottest board game designer at the time, or, you know, one of them. And then like Lewandowski is like pretty renowned, done a lot of stuff. Let's take Stranger Things right on season two's opening and like $100,000 Kickstarter. And then you get it and it's like, 60 pages like 40 really of content and 60 more of like adventures that are stretch goals they put in there you know you're like what there's like nothing to this it's like it's a zine 
Yes. It's like six more adventure zines put on top of it that are like, right. Be... But, um, but I do joke because they credited my first game, Dream Chaser. So I have no hard feelings. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, it's okay. Like businesses do cash grabs. Like it's not called a cash grab, but it's a business. Like that's what they're supposed to survive. You know, like they're supposed to make money. Yeah, I just saw that it's not a big cash grab, but uh, but I I just saw something. It's like, you know, there's this there's this company that's an OSR company where they have an SRD, um, and but they don't really have any write-ups for the for the creatures. Yeah, it's like, well, I could just do a do a book and just do a write-up so it's a separate bestiary yeah you know it's like it do some something different with it but it's like okay i could probably just crank this out over time just write a little bit each day and then at the end of a year maybe do a book and actually make some money without really having to and then the uh and since we're dealing with just standard dnd style um monsters i i could go to stock art at two dollars a piece get some really good <laughs> stock art and if i'm doing 130 creatures sure like okay i could systematically do this <laughs> maybe it won't be quite that you know the the kids on bikes but it's like but you're right there there are opportunities out there if you don't want to look for those in with you saying that uh, you know just in the conversation here like we i don't hear anybody crying foul for like the morkborg things that are happening like people making, you know, Morkborg additional stuff or in particular mothership stuff. Like, oh, yeah, these are all these are other, you know, like cash grabs, if you will. But I mean, like, um, I'm not I'm not going to pick on the guy in particular, but like I was looking at a Kickstarter. That's kind of interested. It was about fishing. And I was I just backed it. And then, you know, a couple of years ago and I was like, OK, this is kind of interesting. I don't know anything about like fishing role playing games. So I just you know picked it up like PDF only or something. And then I was looking through it the other day because I was just interested in it. And the layout is like horrendous. Like it, it's just horrible in the way that I mean, like the table of contents somehow, table of contents somehow stretch out for like 23 pages. And it's not because there's that many. It's because like he does like, you know, single column, like, you know, double spaced <laughs> the whole table of contents over like the first 20 pages like it's just horribly amateur right like and you see it's like the designer is the same person who did the layout you know and it's clearly like the first thing and then i just checked and you know i went to kickstarter and was like i wonder if this guy ever did anything else i don't know why i just did right because i do i research stuff all the time and i was kind of curious and i wanted to read the thing and i was like i wonder if he got better you know like i wonder where this went and i see something else like a year late because that was like 2019 it wasn't that long ago I see there's three Kickstarters. And then like the second one, you know, he did like 4,000 or something. The first one did like a thousand or something. This one, right? Like yeah. the thing it was. And, uh, you know, I'm like, okay. So people came back, like he's building his audience. And then the third one, like 16,000. And I was like, wow. And then I look at the cover. It's this amazing cover. Cause it's like, you know, <laughs> fishing in Morkborg. <laughs> you know, so it's just like, wow so that really made me think about it so when you said this i was like oh yeah but i mean stuff like that like you can have you can take morkborg's art i mean he still had a different art but like right. the thematic style and the theme and the verbs and say like of morkborg or of mothership and those people are making a lot of money right now too like uh they're not making i mean some of them are making a hundred thousand but you know there are other things like you know if cubicle seven doesn't want to be sell it that far <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> like they're nope. like, you're right, you're right. Sorry. It's we're gonna change Dr. True from 5e to mothership. <laughs> and then suddenly nobody cares, you know? Yes. Well, I didn't didn't uh I forget the guy's name who did Urban Shadows. Uh uh Mark yeah, like, or Brendan Kelly. I think Mark uh, true like, like they did the avatar. Yeah. And people like, I guess, <laughs> like were like incredibly angry and you're like you know what this guy's like was this really this angry? Hispanic? that's funny these guys like well the, i think the indie people are like you know like a sellout kind of thing but it's like oh you have a because he's hispanic isn't he he is yeah so you you get somebody that is a independent game designer for abundant minority, minority community who's actually you could you could find a more passionate advocate for yeah. You know, whether it's minorities, people of color, underprivileged, marginalized community. Yeah. Like, he's the reason why the Indie Game Developer Network exists. He's a huge proponent of, like, the Games of Demand movement. You know, like, kind of like one of the four. I mean, he probably wouldn't like to be called one of the forefathers because he's, like, 40-something. You know, but, like, a, of, like, the modern indie game movement. You know, I mean, he's been in the trenches for a long time, really stand up for doing big things and calling people out on their shit. You know, he's the business manager for... uh seventh c when that was 1.6 million and was like the biggest thing ever in rpgs um he was the second in command of that ship that was like we only did stretch goals to thirty thousand because there was no way in hell it would ever do that like over the whole month right and it was done in an hour it's like i don't know what we do now you know but i'm with you like it's just sad that like you said that <laughs> yeah we should also be celebrating you know what i mean all of the talk right like yeah. There couldn't have been the other person this could be, you know, like, or I'm not saying that marks the end all be all right. You know, it's still obviously. Well, but I, here's, here's what to me uh, makes me think highly of him. Cause I backed urban shadows too. I know I don't have urban shadows one, but cause I, I think the art was, I wasn't that impressed and whatever, but the urban shadows too. And I oh, kickstarted it. And solid step forward. Like you said, ton more. Like if you look at the old book, like there's not a lot of art in it. Right. Example. So what, what I what I've realized is it's still not done. So the, he just did a humongous Kickstarter, which he could just say, you know what? I really don't care about Urban Shadows. You know what I mean? Like, I really just <laughs> do not care. I don't even care. Well, I'm, this is done. I don't care about anything. I'm going, I'm going to go to Hawaii and live <laughs> for the rest of my life. But he's not doing, he's like, Urban Shadows, we are still working on it. We're still doing editing. We're doing play tests. We see this isn't working. Like, he is yeah. as passionate, you know, after, to me, I'd be like, I couldn't concentrate. I'd just be looking at Avatar, you know what I mean? But he's like, no, this, this Urban Shadows is going to be the best thing he can make it. And it's like, well, that's a lot of integrity. Yeah. No, the great team, great folks, you know, like, they have a co-op model, which is, like, it's, oh, I say that it's because, like, I don't know many co-op models, especially now that are as successful. And they were like an early first that made me go, man, I mean, this is this is why we're all doing it wrong. Like everyone's making their own little game company, doing business as, you know, or, you know, single member at right. LLC. And we're all out there like trying to do it on our own by ourselves. The first, you know, first one, because who would work with us? And Magpie was like, I mean, you know, albeit like they made a couple things. Like every each of them had their one thing first. But they're like, hey, how about you help me make my thing and then I help you make your thing? Oh, and you, you're you going to come help us? So, yeah, and then we'll make your thing after you help us make our things. Oh, yeah, and you want to help us too? And then they made money and they could pay those people. 
you know, and then that continued to strive. Now you still need talent, right? Yes. You need acting right. in like Mark went to Harvard. It wasn't for business, but he went to Harvard. So like, I'm like, <laughs> you know, when you talk about yeah, people yeah. like could have yeah. made more money outside of RPGs, like he went to Harvard, <laughs> you know, he's got a degree from Harvard. So, um, and I think it's like bachelor's, you know, like it's not like his whatever, but um, I just was like, what? You know, are you kidding me? But, you know, Marissa, uh, his partner and did all the art for, you know, has been like this amazing art director from Bluebeard's Bride and obviously Seventh Sea and continued on and on. And on. But even that, like for Avatar's success, you know, he it wasn't his first rodeo because he had that. 1.7 million dollar kickstarter that doesn't get all the credit for it because he was like the number two but he was the guy who john wick went to for is the business manager is the kickstarter right. manager because john was like i don't have the head for business i just like uh, well that was it became obvious afterwards yeah. oh yeah <laughs> it's like what have you done it's and like, he's gotten slack i feel bad because you know but anybody's a figure like he gets slack like he got he got slack for a couple different things that came out and happened like they gave him a really hard time or i'm sorry they gave magpie and john wick a hard time when they made like the asian islands expansion for seventh c that was a bit of an ordeal because they're like where are the asian people working on this you know um and i'm like do you know who these people are like they're like Believe me, if there if there is an issue there, they're they're really worried about it. <laughs> like you know, they're they're standing, they're not sleeping at night because they're like, we need more Asian people working on this, you know. Right. Um, but I guess I don't know. Sometimes you dig your own holes, right? Like, because you're if you're a role model for something, you get more scrutiny. And it, well, it's weird. The thing is, is is internet anger. And when I say internet, I mean like, sure, like what gets what do people pick to be angry about and then everybody flocks to that thing to be angry <laughs> you know what i mean it's like bandwagoning is real yeah because i remember somebody was 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 writing up this is this is a minor case but somebody was writing about you know some people are claiming that tolkien's rolling his grave over you know this new uh lord of the rings adaptation and goes sure. but basically he's been rolling over in his grave since like 19 <laughs> yeah but, and, how many adaptations yeah and i wrote i said you know of all the people rotating in all their graves all across the world <laughs> i think the sound of him rolling is is barely discernible like like <laughs> who cares who cares if J.R.R. tolkien is upset or would be upset who cares why are we picking this to be upset about what's you know what going I mean? on with all the natural disasters in this world it's all yeah. the people rolling in their graves yeah. changing climate yeah but it's like you're, you're you're upset about that but there's that who there's bad things happening to good people right next door you know what i mean like why are you not angry about that or why are you choosing this to be your one thing to be angry about it's just yeah, like you're hill to die on it, i don't know and, and he wasn't to that extreme, but I noticed that with politics and different things, like, you know, you're very up upset with this particular business for this reason, but do you apply that same degree to every business? <laughs> if not, why just this one business? Yeah, we live in some crazy times <laughs> and it, it sucks to, you know, try to have financial gain and stuff in these times because well, I just, I mean, I'm sure that you always feel that way, but there's, you know, like I obviously, you know, being a person that talks to other people who are making games or publishing stuff, like I see 
and hear people say without saying sometimes or even blatantly saying things like you know should i be they them should i you know oh, yeah. should i should i be by should i you know like because people are looking for edges and ways to communicate and groups to bring to the table and you know i mean to me it's sickening right like i mean like if i won't make shit in 5e you know like i'm definitely not gonna like try to be something someone i'm not and i and i'm the guy who i feel like a lot of times i you know i'm like hey if you're selling them you know you you gotta throw in the add-on you know try to get the up charge you know like I'm, i'm the one who's usually trying to be like you know hey play to your advantages you know don't be ashamed to sell yourself and your products but like i'm like but you know i mean come on like i and unfortunately some people you see it works, you know, and like, that's the worst because that tells other people like do what I did, you know? Um, because you, you know, it's still, you've probably heard this with some of the episodes, like the industry's small. Oh, Everyone yes. still knows you. Well, I shouldn't say that anymore. I mean, it's probably gigantic now because of all the independent creators that nobody knows yet, but, um, you know, alarmingly growing fast because of Kickstarter and stuff. But, um, but for the people who feel like they still know everyone and that it's small, um, you know, like, you know, people. So like something, when start, some things start changing or happening, you're like, since when? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like. Right. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I'm not at all pointing at like LGBT, you know, uh, communities or something. I just mean in general, like it could be about anything that you're like, hey, I know you. Like, that's not you. Uh, and then they have thousands of more followers suddenly you know and like people are paying attention and they're talking about all this stuff and you're like okay so you're that person now <laughs> it's almost like hollywood and marketing agents or something right like you had a consultant and they said you know which people like people with red hair and that smile a lot you know it's it's like coaching or something i knew so i i work for a major company and i worked in a factory and one of the managers there um because of a change in climate and um, wanting things to be friendlier, he, they started implementing these personality tests. He thought you were well. He failed and was told you will you will lose your job unless you change. He rewrote wow. himself. He rewrote himself. He completely now deep down inside was the same guy probably, <laughs> but he rewrote himself. I mean, wow, I, like. I'm still, you know, I think there are people that can rewrite themselves, but I can't. I mean, we all can change to a certain degree, but yeah. a complete personality rewrite, I don't know. I know, you know, I, I feel like I, I had sometimes in my life had done some things, you know, with the conversation we were just having, I know one of the things that sometimes bothers me is, you know, sometimes I keep my mouth shut because I'm like, okay, I'm trying to sell stuff here. Right. Like, I, I can't be involved. Like I said, one of the things that probably irks me more is how many people get involved. But like I said, kind of because it becomes their shtick and they rally for something. And then it's like those people are their audience that buys their stuff. And, you know, if it's true and honest and original, more power to you. But if, if, if that's because, you know, because I, I, like I said, you know, that stuff happens. Hey, a lot of people care about this right now. Maybe if you start talking about that a lot, you know, you'll build the people who back your Kickstarter. You know? Yeah, but those people may be the type to, uh, to eat you later. 
Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure they are, right? I'm sure it's <laughs> the bandwagon. But like I said, some of those people, I'm like, yeah. they're still being, they're still pretty damn successful right now. Yeah, yeah, it's but they, hard. But they, but you're right. You know what? One thing that she said there was very true. But then I look at the comments of some of these people, like, you know, Facebook ad or something. And there's a lot of people hating on them in those ads. So thankfully, you know, for what it's worth, it might be more success, but there's also the level of like, I'm very thankful I don't have any hate. <laughs> I yes. really don't want that coming yes. at me from this part of my life that I enjoy, my creative outlet, my hopefully giving something back to the RPG community that gave me so much, you know, like these games, what they can do for people, the friendships they can make, the, the feelings of accomplishment, the life skills you can get that make you feel confident in your own life and other aspects outside of gaming that you got from here. Like one of the things that brought me back is remembering is more of an adult. You know, I was really good at running games. Like at 15 and 16, I was a good game master. And now I did plenty of shit wrong. <laughs> you know, I made right. all kinds of mistakes. I did things that, you know, would like, you know, make me now be like, oh, I don't just, I don't want to watch, you know, like I would just be ashamed, right? But there's growing pains. But when I look back and I go, some of the stuff that we did with my friends and, you know, the games we had and the stories we made, I look back and I go, like, I contributed. I helped make that. And that was a thing later in life I could confidently look back on, like, role-playing gave me that opportunity. Playing video games, yeah, maybe it helped me, like, hand-eye decks, you know, coordination, some story ideas yeah. and thoughts. But, like, stuff that I was able to do with my friends and the experiences we had uh, and the stuff that I had to create from whole cloth, whether it's improv or creativity or reading, you know, that was um, that was stuff to look back and be like, I did that. And I only did that because I learned it from this, you know, and it's, maybe that helped me be a manager or that helped me be a project oh. manager or a writer or, you know, make choices. Yeah, I, you're right. I think you're running games. I mean, if you think about just the ability to think on your feet and having to, to do stuff, I, I know my new boss probably wonders about me but <laughs> but i think you know right i think that at least being a you know if you're want to say if you if you want to be a good dungeon master you learn to read the table yeah you know you know i mean and verbals, to, verbals. yeah yeah and, and and you may not still be the greatest but a good gm who person wants to be a good gm is is needs to be you know somewhat empathetic and working uh, with people you're making schedules you're making yeah. you know, you're people who like you know you learn how to talk to people whether you're firing their character or like firing yeah, exactly. the player or hiring a player <laughs> or can you make it on tuesday i know you're always late what's going on with that you know you just all the like you said uh i give this person some spotlight here but then these people are complaining about not yeah. getting the spotlight so how do i judge you know i mean right or this person's looking goes, bored is he really bored maybe i need to you know, to tailor a little more to them or afterwards you reanalyze <laughs> how, how it went to think how you could do better. You know, it comes to management. I mean, in general, about all things, like talk about something you learned early, you know, as game master can teach you how to be a, I give you all the management skills at least, you know? Well, and I think we've all, well, I say all, but I think in general, the, the uh, role-playing games put us into a very social environment i think it's very because it's very narrow it's not awkward like if you could if i go into a group of if i go and sit at a table with people i don't know 
and just expect to make conversation, I probably will be very, very introverted. They say, you know what? You guys are on a spaceship. <laughs> You're playing this and this and this. You're on a mission. Go. We'll be clicking within minutes. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think because of that narrowness, you you don't have to worry about minutiae. You're all together and you can work together. And I think that that's what makes it work so well is it's, it's a defined social interaction between yeah. people. And I think the more we do that, it, I don't think we, we don't in general, I don't think in America, we're more isolated. So I think the idea that we do these sorts of things in a, in a, it makes us a better, as far as um, being more in touch with other people. Yeah. Even if it's a very, if, even if it's just a very superficial thing. I think about it now, especially, you know, being older, you know, like eventually you're not in school anymore and you, you, you just, you, you start dropping off communities, you know, um, yeah, social groups and stuff. And then as you, you know, find a career, well, then you get more steady with the same group of people that if it's a place that may be smaller or an office setting that you have less people interaction, but then like stuff like COVID where you, if it forces you home, like you just keep less people, less people, less people. But like, you know, a role-playing game is just another social outlet to keep you gaming with people. And especially if you go to conventions and stuff, I mean, you, that's where you can find diversity and people. Right. COVID has really reminded me so many times where I'm like, man, I'm sticking my foot in my mouth because I forgot how to talk to people. It's just like limited interaction. Um, you used to do it with your son all day. <laughs> well, that doesn't help either. Yeah, it's like I, I can sing your nursery rhymes yeah. all day, but I, yeah, I'm not or, even getting good interpersonal from TV, you know, because yeah. it's like. I'm uh, treating my coworker like my child or my wife. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute. I mean, if you were just in my head for a moment, all you hear is like Lightning McQueen. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh God. Well, I think we're hitting the uh, the time space continuum, Pete. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Yeah, <laughs> we're after this again because there's a lot of things we didn't talk about. We talked about how that could happen beforehand. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. The uh, I will still say, you know, as memorable as the game was, uh, even talking afterwards was uh, was a great time. And uh, I'm really glad you stayed and that we got to have that chat. You know. Yeah. It was. It was. In fact, I've shared stuff from that conversation. <laughs> uh, yes. It's just like the model you use is just is a lot of fascinating things because I'm. St- which we really didn't talk about, but the, the fact is you just said, you know what? I'm going to go knock on a door. I'm going to get an IP. And I'm going to do a major game. I'm going to do this Kickstarter. <laughs> but I also, the idea was your, your model is also quite a bit different than my model is that, you know, I believe is you're using it to fund an offset print, print run. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, Oh, that's a, that's a good way of thinking about, but, but you, it, yeah, but you have to with what you're doing, but I just thought it, Anyway, there's a lot of interesting things that you have done. I don't know how to not go big. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty good at it, but unfortunately, you know, like my first game, you know, where most people have been like, hey, just make the PDF for the book and go, you know, drive through on. I I was like, no, print runs so that you can have margins so you can actually make some money back. And we're going to have this pretend box, which, you know, I'm going to give you everything you could possibly want for a role-playing game in a box set. 
and here's the folding board with the index cards and the you know the GM screen, the dice and the hardcover, and you know, and people are like, no, 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 like don't do this. This is all you know, like we're saying with you, you know, it's like it's your first thing, don't do any of that shit, you know, like you don't know about shipping and fulfillment and product sourcing and you know, graphic design, and uh you know, went great. And that that game is pretty much all but sold out, you know, which is gonna force a second printing or something eventually here. Uh, we've been working on a variant, but anyway, that's a whole different thing. And like my my second game just came out finally because it took forever because of supply and demand. But uh, rest in pieces, you know, it's got a box set, a two color Jenga tower, you know, uh, yeah, it's decks of cards, it's gorgeous, you know. Uh, but like I said, it's got a stacking sleeve, the coolest thing you'll ever make a Jenga tower, like you know, all neat and clean and organized with. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the coolest one ever. Yeah, um, but yeah, that's just how and chew. She was coming out with two books. It's got, you know, if you get the special edition, they're in a slipcase with holographic covers signed by the two comic creators. And the investigative corkboard is a quadfold board that's dry erase. And it looks like a corkboard would fold it out. Chicken bucket dice that are after the Mother Cluckers brand in the book. <laughs> you'll have this little white bucket, Mother, Mother Cluckers bucket, and you'll roll dice. The sixes are chicken legs, you know? So it's just, uh, I just always go big. Um, and there's some benefits, but like, it's a lot of time and effort, you know, and you just have to have the passion for it. Uh, if you, and, and right. if you're okay with it, you know, like you gotta have some privilege, right. Cause you gotta have some capital or some money or be willing to spend it, you know? So well, I think with you, you you definitely have to go, you can't go, I mean, you don't want to go too crazy, obviously, but you, you can't be, I didn't do a box set for the first time. Yeah. Yes. I really was going to, but I, I pulled back on that. <laughs> yeah it's uh gonna be the briefcase you know the investigative <laughs> yeah, briefcase, exactly we dropped that one is there a stuff uh poyo <laughs> yeah pills? yeah there was there was there actually i have a stuff poyo downstairs that we did not green light um it's really really cool um but because it's merch and it's a hard argument for it to be game related uh because of a couple other deals that are constantly always in the works we just, right. we just shelved it for the time being just to make sure because you know um it was just kind of too questionable and it wasn't ready the the prototype wasn't ready for the kickstarter so it, of course it make money but it's just like it wasn't necessary and you know well um, that's the funny I'm, thing about ip it's like you don't want to mess anything up for the ip either like not that right. it wouldn't contractually be a problem for me but like the more successful the IP is, the more successful I am, you know? So it's um, right. But I know sometimes it's, it's gotten kind of weird with like, you know, like, like large IPs where somebody has the, you know, like, like electronic gaming, but then are is PDF electronic gaming and, and it, oh, it starts sure, becoming yeah. it, things. That's kind weird. Of really yeah. Convoluted. It's like, well, we have the rights to the board game and card games, but you know, how's the RPGs. And that's where a lot of times you'll see, certain big ips be broken up in weird ways oh, it's yeah. just because somebody bought rights in a certain direction a lot of times if you if you reach out if you hear anything that's pretty much the the second line of defense that's the deal breaker right it's like what's available if they even care and respond what's available and will it work right like it just may not even work and yeah. if there's a tv or movie deal uh it, it's that's a really weird one because if there is it may be screwed but if there isn't, it may be screwed because of the perspective of having one, because the TV and movie deal is like, you know, the 
what do they call you don't want to foul it up because they sold off these rights and whoever has the tv deal also has a publishing company and they may also want to have these certain rights to go along with this and it's the big kahuna right so the person with the ip they want the movie deal over everything right that's what they you right. know, everyone's doing the locomotion right they want the movie deal or the big book deal or something and anything else is like asking up to ask them but they're like but well you know maybe but you know i gotta see if this happens or if this happens because they might tell me no to you and i if i have you already then i gotta fight for you and i don't want to fight for you because that's just chum change but that's yeah, exactly the, you know, that's the scrooge mcduck money so <laughs> it's that's the whole game if you can even get to it you know there, there's a long running history that like like harry potter anything harry potter is at least 50 grand so if you can't walk up to them and say i will give you 50 grand no matter if it's like a keychain or a postcard or a role-playing game it's just like if it doesn't start with fifty thousand dollars i don't know if that's a year it probably is a year you know like per year at least but like it's a nine it's just not it's non-starter that's just where they start like no matter what it is so like that's the reason why there's no role-playing game um is just because the just there, there's a couple board games, you know, like the. the, the I heard J.K. Games. Rowling has a thing against RPGs. I don't know if that's true or not. Oh, it might be. I don't know that part. I don't know. I, I didn't try. I, I didn't reach out. I'm like, that's just the amount of money that, I, for most of us, will. You know, there's there's some reason to believe Avatar might have been that. You know, but I don't know if it would have been per year. You know, but. Yeah, I just I, I still I think everybody's flabbergasted about that one. Supposedly Marvel was back when we had that Marvel superheroes from um, Tracy Weiss Productions or Margaret. I'm sorry, Margaret. Margaret Weiss. Weiss. They only did it for two years because they're like, okay, cool, we made a bunch of money, but we're not making so much money. We're going to pay fifty thousand a year. And you know, if you have a competitive license, that meant at year two you can't make any more, and if you have any left, you got to pulp them. So Judge Dredd is doing that right now on Drive Through. If you've seen it, that they're. Uh, yeah, I listen to it. Judge Dredd is, you know, they, they have a they, podcast. Ian World has a podcast. Yeah. I don't know if you listen to that, but yeah. They're done next month. So they got to buy it now, half off, you know? Yeah, I probably should, should start picking some of that up. It's I don't weird, know. though, because it's drive through, right? Like it's weird to like 50% off almost go, but it's not printed yet. <laughs> like it's kind of, but you got to print, have them printed now because you can't have them printed later. You know, it's a weird when it's print on demand. Like everything yeah, I know. must go. <laughs> yeah it's a weird world so we'll we'll have to walk down that that whole path and because uh, that's a very i think interesting story um it, yeah it's i think you're you're the path for a small publisher doing a it wasn't a very it's not a huge ip but still it's a you know a significant ip mm-hmm. you know that's really i find absolutely astounding so we'll, we'll cover that next time Pete. you got it this has been a blast thank you so much <laughs> Oh, no, thank you. I've been, <laughs> we've been trying for a while to get you on, but it's just been hard. But uh, but till next time, mister. Yeah. So if you don't mind, obviously plug my stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, go ahead. Feel free. Yeah. If you're interested in what Pete Petrusha does or Imagining Games or Chew, um, you can go to ImaginingGames.com. Uh, you can find all the social media links there. And at the top, there's an announcement bar. You click that and take you over to the pre-order page for Chew. Uh, choose taking pre-orders at least through April or May, probably, um, where you can still get those signed collector editions uh, signed by the Chew creators themselves. Um, that and like the hardcovers and stuff like the dice uh, won't be mass produced as much. So, I mean, like those collector sets, they're done, right? I'm not getting any extras. Hardcovers are mostly done. Uh, the chicken bucket dice will probably be pretty close to whatever we get, you know, so some things 
don't wait, don't sleep on it, get it now, order it ahead of time, uh, and you'll have it hopefully by the end of summer. So uh, check that out. Rest in pieces. If you want to play deadbeat roommates that are stuck sharing a pad with the Grim Reaper, it's a neat uh, two-tone Jenga tower game. Uh, plays like, you know, slacker sitcom sort of style play, which you can pick up and play in minutes, have interesting characters with a dead end job an odd hobby and a deadly object that say a lot about who they are, uh, where you can give people a role playing game experience in like an hour. So uh, that's not something that most people can do. And, you know, for 40 bucks and something you can always pull out at the drop of a hat, it's pretty ridiculous and fun. So yeah, if I, if I recall correctly, it's, it's kind of has similar vibes to chew as far as just the dark Little. humor. It's almost like the Cards Against Humanity role-playing game because it's almost like a race for everyone to do the most vulgar, ridiculous things they can think of <laughs> because you're deadbeat roommates that live yeah. with the Grim Reaper who are trying to one-up each other in a way so that they don't, they're not the one who dies or that they maybe influence what happens before it all gets bad for them, you know? Uh, it's fun and wild. Cool, and I'll put, I'll put everything in the show notes too. So if anybody Thanks. wants uh, the links... So anyway, thanks again, Pete. Thanks, Jeff.